Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everybody to another uh, stream, another episode of the Thought Adventure podcast. Uh, today we have a uh, a very special topic. Like uh, you could say, it's, it's it's a bit outside of outside of the normal, like uh, philosophical, metaphysical uh, um, uh, topics we have uh, in, in 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 the context of like natural theology. We're talking today about liberalism and critiquing liberalism. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is not going to be a really like this is not going to be very in depth. This is going to be a, a surface level analysis of liberalism and a, a basic critique of liberalism. We're going to have Brother Abdullah Andalusi. He should be joining any second with us, uh, and and uh, yeah, hopefully we're looking forward to 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 a good episode, inshallah. Uh, inshallah. Sharif Yusuf, salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum yeah, oh, yeah so why don't we, alhamdulillah all good so why don't we start uh, one of one of our one of our biggest fans here brother ihsan he's asking saying define it please so let's start there let's uh, maybe maybe sharif maybe you can just give us a bit of a warm-up uh before brother <laughs> warm up. Up and define well, we're, waiting, we're <laughs> waiting for abdullah to define it for us inshallah uh okay. but it, it's, it's an interesting topic what it is is that liberalism uh you know it, it is there's the type of civilization the west has they don't really name it you know so you have like communism yeah so you know soviet union is a communist country and you sort of understand what that that tends to entail and then you have the west and the west is called the west but it's very it's very vague uh or they'll use certain things like liberal democracies again relatively vague or they would, you know, and one of the terms that have been used about the West is capitalism. Yeah. But again, a lot of people, when they think of capitalism, they think of just simply economics, some economic system. So some free market system. And I think part of the reason why the West per se, or, you know, these liberal secular capitalist societies don't really like to call themselves a particular name. They don't say that we are this type of civilization per se, is because I think uh, they don't want to give the impression that what they hold on to is a particular view, uh, particular, you know, worldview or particular ideological view of society, of human beings, of, uh, of a way of life. So they leave it relatively vague or they'll use things like universal human rights, you know, the belief in universal human rights, the belief in freedoms. I They use very they use terms which give this universalizing type perspective of their system, giving almost the impression that the ideology of the West is something which is innately in tune to all human beings. Yeah. So, so therefore I think as an introduction point, I think that's, that's why it's interesting that we living in the West, many non-Muslims who live in the West don't really have an understanding about their own ideology. Yeah, and that's why it becomes quite vague. I've not gone into the actual detail of definition. I can do, inshallah, but I was uh, maybe just as a point of thought yeah. that people could really appreciate. Because, like I said, if you ask a person who lives in the West, born and brought up in the West, what is liberalism, they won't be able to tell you. Yeah, or what is capitalism? You know, they might talk about free markets in a very vague sense, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think I think that's that's a very important point because uh, a lot of times people don't really um, 
aren't really aware of the philosophical underpinnings of the views that they hold to or the you know the the systems that they live within and and even advocate for so so that that, that is a very important point and uh, as we'll see later inshallah the, the the philosophical underpinnings of liberalism are are extremely significant and extremely um controversial i mean uh, so so it's not it's not something that's just you know set in stone as many people make it seem to be uh brother yusuf maybe you want to come in at this point and, and give us your initial thoughts uh yeah so for me one of the striking things about liberalism is just how it it's not a hundred percent clear to what degree it actually can undermine itself as well um so it's it's all about being open um to some degree to new or different opinions and ideas um but what if those ideas themselves are anti-liberal um you know the, themselves uh what, what does liberalism do with this in particular and and you see it sort of express itself in common politics where um it's sort of it's it's basically this notion of um What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, tolerance. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be tolerant of you and tolerant of your ideas. Um, but there's certain ideas that definitely do not fall under that. <laughs> and uh, there's certain ideas that when these are brought up or if it's made clear that anyone does hold them, um, they become very intolerant quite quickly. And, um, yeah, so, like, how is it that you're supposed to sort of bridge this gap? Um how do you deal with this? Is it a case that being tolerant isn't necessarily like a, a sort of this universal value? Is it the case that um, being like absolutely liberal um, isn't a universal thing at all? And not really what they mean. They mean we're a little bit liberal or we're, we're liberal to a certain degree. And which, but, but you know, they, they never word it like that. They're, they're never sort of, um, I've, I've never heard it come across in, this kind of liberal manner is is liberalism tolerance and um yeah. but yeah yeah uh, and and uh sorry is that can, can sorry, just a little bit don't worry <laughs> okay so so yeah yeah so 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 definitely i mean i totally agree i think i think uh, the idea is i mean for me i mean one, one, one of the main things i wanted to ask about abdullah and sharif and yourself is here about the the, the foundations of liberalism specifically with regard to you know the indiv individualist basis it starts with. That's very interesting for me personally, because, uh, because I mean, a as I understand it, like if you contrast liberalism with something like very broadly with something like nas nationalism, let's say as a political system or something, I mean, I think the, the core philosophical uh, presumption, one of the core philosophical presumptions is that, you know, the, the nature of man, like uh, one would see man as like a social animal you know where there is society and the society is formed of you know uh, um individuals that are 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 formed within the society or 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 form their 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 personalities and individual uh, 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 uh you know uh, desires from within a certain social structure versus a different philosophical uh, um presupposition where the individual is the core. The individual is the building block. The individual is what matters, and in the individual is what uh, um, basically forms the basic building block of society. So the individual is the core versus the society is the core. And just as I see that, just as like like a layperson who's just looking into this, it's it seems like from that starting point, the 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 difference 
for, you know, the, the, the different routes you're going to take in, 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 in building a, a political system is going to be extremely, extremely drastic. It's not going to be a, a, a small difference. It's, a, it's, it's an extremely humongous uh, um, philosophical underpinning. Uh, and and uh, I think this idea of, of individualism sort of does make liberalism move from this from like it's not a particularist ideology. It's more of a universalist one, because if the individual has these, uh, you know, uh, um, rights that he's born with and that are uh, um, indisputable and uncompromisable just on a global scale, then all of a sudden you have a universalist ideology. So, I mean, that's that's just from, from the way I see it that philosophical uh, um, foundation about this particular point is very significant. I, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, Sharif. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I think as Muslims, we recognize, isn't it, that liberalism, yeah, uh, or certainly the Western civilization, has it does form a challenge for Muslims and just form a challenge for how we understand Islam. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the way the Western civilization is projected is that it's projected as though it is a universal set of ideas. And so if it's a universal set of ideas, it somehow has some sort of objective, you know, independent, mind-independent uh, ontology that, it, you know, is like a squared circle. It just happens, you know, it's, it's or not squared, so it's like a three-sided triangle. It's true by definition. So if something's true by definition, the then question becomes, well, then how do you fit Islam within this, you know, observable, objective fact of how human beings should act or how societies should function? And so then what happens, it becomes a case of how do we change Islam or how do we reconcile Islam within a liberal, secular, quote-unquote, universalist uh, ideology how do we how do we fit Islam with that, especially with certain some of the rules? And so that's why it's so important to understand, take a step back and start to understand what it is. Yeah. And really, once we understand what it is and we can start to understand and unpick its, you know, presuppositions, its ideological underpinnings. And the best way to really understand what it is, what what this Western civilization or liberalism or capitalism is, uh, is to really understand the history of its development and the history of the development of, you know, pre-enlightenment period, you know, during the Reformation period, then towards the, the Enlightenment period and the post-enlightenment period within Europe, because that really in, uh, helps us to understand uh, and inform us as to what it is. Because largely liberalism was a reaction to the to the church and to the to the quote unquote theocracies uh, throughout uh, uh, Western Europe or Europe at the time. Uh, so it was a case. It was a case that it was a reaction to the church. Now Christianity had these two elements to it. There's this, you know, religious scriptural element within Christianity. You know, we've talked about this in our other streams, yeah. But there was also certain philosophical underpinnings. A lot of the, you know, whether it's the Latin uh, Christians or the Orthodox Christians, they saw themselves as sort of the manifestation of Greco-Latin civilization. And the Greco-Latin, you, know, uh, you know, Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, what they tended to push was this, this idea of rationalism and philosophy. So you had this natural tension between the scriptural aspects within Christianity and quote unquote the, the religious tradition, 
uh, amalgamated with this idea of, you know, uh, rationalism, philosophy, uh, the discussions that, you know, people like Plato or Aristotle, Plato in his Republic had, Aristotle in his politics had about, you know, how human beings are. And there was therefore this attempt to try to synthesize the two, the scriptural elements within Christianity, as well as this sort of Greco-Roman uh, philosophical elements that uh, that they had. And obviously those tensions start to become more manifest, particularly during the Reformation period, where more of uh, Greek philosophy and philosophy in general started to be brought uh, to uh, Christian Europe. And there was these natural tensions, particularly with the development of science. And so the question then became, well, hold on, you know, what's the nature of religion? This was the argument. What's the nature of religion? Because if as human beings we can understand, you know, moral rights and moral wrongs, you know, from our mind, if as human beings that we can sort of understand our, uh, on a rational level this idea of the pursuit of happiness, what motivates human beings, then really, then then we need to start to you know, look at religion and particularly Christianity within its domain, which is purely from a religious salvation point of view and look at how we function in life from this quote unquote rationalist point of view. How do we form governments? What gives authority to governments? What gives them the right? What type of laws are they going to implement? So this secularization that we start to see within Europe was a reaction to what they saw within Christianity in terms of its uh, application within society and obviously the, the tensions that existed uh, uh, within it, the Christian tradition as a religious tradition, its application within Western Europe and some of the perceived oppressive and injustices uh, that that resulted in uh, in terms of the fact that they started to hold people back from scientific inquiry and other things. But Abdullah's here, so inshallah, I don't want to carry on for too much longer because I've spoke too much. Assalamu alaikum, brother Abdullah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Jazakallah khair for joining. Alhamdulillah. I want to talk for an uh, invitation. Uh, sorry, my, I have some problems with my webcam. It wasn't uh, functioning properly, though. But I hope you can all see me okay now. It's a. Uh, yeah. yeah. Alhamdulillah. So, um, so we, we were just speaking amongst ourselves a bit, basically giving our initial thoughts on the topic. Uh, so uh, right now, maybe we can get into the questions that we've, we, we've laid out for, for, for this particular stream. Uh, so um, we were talking earlier about like the definition of liberalism, what liberalism is. Uh, uh, um, Sharif and Yusuf gave their thoughts. Uh, and uh, we maybe want to start with this question about what liberalism is. Is it an ideology? What are your initial thoughts on that, Brother Abdullah? Okay, well, um, it depends, obviously, how we define ideology. Um, it also depends, um, I suppose, how we define um, liberalism. But basically, uh, the word ideology was obviously famously used by uh, Karl Marx uh, to refer to um, a kind of a system or rather a kind of a set of ideas uh, which kind of permeate a society uh, okay produced by the material structure of that society and kind of to reinforce and perpetuate the society so it's almost like a controlling idea or a controlling set of ideas uh, um, a guiding set of ideas a dominating set of ideas so that was ideology uh, he wanted the ideology in the west to be obviously marxism um, but he talked about the current ideology in the West being 
um, capitalism, uh, which is the term used really to refer to the economic system of liberalism, uh, because as a Marxist, he was a materialist and he viewed uh, the culture of society to be merely a product of its means of production of the actual of the industry of the actual the economic system determines the culture of the, of the society its religion its beliefs quite literally everything so the economic system the means of production quite literally determines how people think and what people believe so that was in essence what marxism um, kind of viewed so the idea the idea of ideology being a representation of the um, the physical system itself um, produced by the system, reproducing the physical system, uh, something to, uh, mis uh, let's say, delude or misguide uh, the people's minds into believing, uh, into uh, believing that their system, their, their, their current circumstance was natural. So that's what he called ideology. But of course, he didn't think ideology was bad. He just thought that the ideology currently in the West was bad, or rather was not, um, not in line with the current means of production we have uh, evolved in, evolved and now this new industrialized means of production means we, the next stage of human evolution will be Marxism. Right? So that was that's where the idea of the, the idea of ideology in its kind of political form comes from. But now it's kind of used generally just to mean um, a, a set of organizing principles, a, a set of ideas and formulas related to um, good and bad and how society should be organized and structured. So that's basically ideology as it's used today. Um, so liberalism is indeed a, an ideology by um, most uh, uh, definitions of that term, um, in that it is a uh, a worldview uh, which from which stems forth uh, kind of certain political visions of how society should be organized and structured. And so it has an aqidah, so it has a creed, which is uh, individualism, which we'll get to in a, in a bit. And so ind individualism is the aqidah, and so then how it is implemented, the manhaj of the of this of of, of the system is. Um, po political individualism, or otherwise called liberalism. Now, most people, when you use the word liberalism, they don't, even like most liberals, uh, who are liberal in by definition, in what they believe, don't usually call themselves liberals for the most part. Um, in America, it usually is referred to, it's usually to refer to a, type, a certain type of left-wing position, um, which, uh, and it has a different meaning to how most people in the world actually understand liberalism today. So, so, so people think it's um, liberalism as a madhab, uh, because there's a madhab called liberalism, a school of thought within liberalism called liberalism. And you can be a conservative and still be a liberal, uh, or at least fo fo a follower of liberalism, even though you might the, you hear these conservatives attacking liberalism. You're like, well, what's going on? I'm really confused. So how most people know know it, what they, they're, they're, they're most, how most people are intimate with this um, way of life or worldview, is uh, they call it, for example, um, by its, um, how should I say, euphemisms, such as liberty, human rights, freedom. Um, uh, equality uh, is, 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 we'll get to that in a bit. Yes, it does believe in equality, but it has a certain interpretation of equality, uh, which led it to have disagreements with its cousin ideologies, um, which is socialism, um, as well as uh, even more left-wing positions, um, post-Marxism and so on, so which we can get to later on if you'd like. Anyway, so, but but now I kind of, uh, to, I've told you how most people kind of view it, but what does it really mean? What does individualism actually mean uh, as, a, as a concept? So individualism is just basically that the individual is sovereign unto themselves and they're not beholden to, uh, to society, uh, to, to a state, and definitely not to any higher powers 
in the uh, in the practical sense. So that so a liberal might say, well, you're totally free to believe that you're beholden to God, um, uh, and that but that must be done uh, voluntarily. Why why is that? Is it because uh, it, this life is a test? No, not exactly. They'll say um, they'll say yeah, it's a test, but that's only because you have sovereignty over yourself. And so you must voluntarily submit to Allah, not, not to submit, but you must, uh, let's say, agree with God. <laughs> uh, from an individualist perspective, um, that's how they probably, how it would psychologically kind of pan out, is that you would agree to do what God tells you to do um, if you are persuaded to do so. And if not, then uh, God has no um, a right on, or over you in this um, in this world, at least in, in terms of secular liberalism perspective. Uh, there is also religious liberalism, so it's it's like the brother of um, secular liberalism. Uh, which is why they call secular liberalism secular liberalism. Why is that? It's because that's liberalism in this life. Uh, what about religious liberalism? Uh, well, religious liberalism is the kind where people take this idea into the afterlife. <laughs> uh, such so, for example, um, religious liberals will probably be against the idea of hell being literal um, because they'll say that. Um, you know, it's not fair for God to punish you for following your inherent right to do as you wish as a sovereign, independent individual. Right. So what they might say is they might say, um, oh, well, maybe uh, hell is a may, hell is literal. It's just a place where people go voluntarily because they feel so guilty that they didn't maybe worship God. Right. So you see some Christian uh, liberal Christians come up with that, that conception. Uh, or they might say that it's just metaphorical, um, that hell is really just for um, uh, hell is is a state of guilt uh, that people will have. Uh, bad people will, will have for doing bad things. And you say, oh, bad things like what? Not worshipping God. Say, oh, no, 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 no. Because, you know, you should be free to worship God or not. No, no. Uh, rape, murder, torture. That's the where where one sovereign individual harms another sovereign individual. That's viewed as the greatest crime in um, liberalism because of individualism. Every individual is sovereign. Sovereign meaning absolute. There's nothing higher than you. That's what liberalism says or individualism says as a basic concept. So in practical, in secular liberalism, um, no one's higher than the individual, not society, religion um, or the state. But then what does the state do? How does they have power over you? What, there's, a, there's a little compromise that liberals have to do practically, of course. And then, but in and religious liberalism, which is for people who are who haven't abandoned their theism or, or on their way out uh, eventually, anyway, uh, yeah. when they reach the ultimate conclusion, which an atheist will say, as Mikhail Bakunin said, um, a, a, a Russian writer and philosopher, he said that as long as there is a God in heaven, we'll be slaves on earth. Right? So ultimately, if you truly want to be an individual, if you truly want to embrace um individualism in its in its metaphor in its metaphysical form in its in its full glorious form uh, from their perspective then you know the glorious form of in, of individualism uh, then you'd have to eventually negate um, god's existence who is controlling you because you can't have anyone controlling you um you know you must be the highest um of uh, moral uh, authority over yourself so those are the kinds of things which um which liberalism uh, does, but I suppose today we, we're really going to focus on um, the political form of it, which is called secular liberalism. Secular meaning um, uh, this worldly, or you could say dunya wea liberalism, right? So the, the liberalism of this world, um, and the, uh, the the idea is of that the individual is sovereign, that nothing can um, impinge the rights of the individual. Um, there was reasons. There was a reason why they came up with this idea. So like, where did they get this idea from? 
Um, I know many people who always cite John Locke generally as the guy, the go-to guy, but John Locke wasn't really the inventor of liberalism as we call it today, or classical liberalism as it was known, as we anachronistically call it back then. Um, he kind of really took a bunch of these ideas that were already developing in Western thought due to a certain set of political, of political and historical circumstances, very unique to the West at the time. And he kind of brought it together. He summated it. He's like the uh, you know, Imam Muslim, Imam Bukhari of these enlightened ideas, bringing them all together, producing a, a kind of cohesive and consistent, or at least relatively consistent way of justifying all these ideas being brought together into, so no arbitrary absolute government. Um, the, the, the individual is, um, is an individual because in the state of nature, so before society, uh, he alleges humans were just wandering individuals in the wilderness, right? And in our natural state of nature, we were free to do what we wish, right? We were free to do whatever we wish. That's the, so, that, so we have a natural right to freedom based on the argument. Now, I'm pretty sure that if you encountered a few bears, lions and tigers um, uh, in, the, in the wilderness, I don't think they'd respect, or they got the memo that you, they have to respect your right to life or right to freedom to do what you want. They'll respect your right to be tasty, but nothing more than that. Um, you know, and so the idea that humans are, are have a natural right to be um, individuals, it goes against what, you know, uh, anthrop anthropologists know of human society since the, the beginning. We've always been in usually small units of tribes or clans, maybe roughly about 30 people. You, the family unit's always been the basis of our society, of, of, of any kind of clan or society. Um, we come as collectives. Uh, doesn't mean that we have to be collective. The opposite, the alternative is not collectivism as is envisioned by Eastern ideologies. That's not the, op the diametrical opposite, but it's rather we are a mix of both. We're a mix of collective. So, you know, the language you speak, if no one taught you that language, you'd never, you'd never know language. You never even, uh, some people say, of course, you'd never even be able to reason if you, if you actually didn't, were not taught language. Um, so there's a lot you depend on your society for to give to you so that you can then become um, uh, a adult, mature human being in the way that we know. Um, so, uh, so that's the, the the kind of the the epistemology. So the ontology of uh, of, in, of liberalism is, is incorrect. It's false because it's based on an assumption that John Locke didn't even observe anything to to make this claim. So, you know, you've never find you never find humans as just wandering individuals in society. But this was a common motif, or uh, it was Thomas Hobbes was saying it, uh, or Jacques Rousseau was saying it. Many people believed that humans were wandering as individuals. Then, but because we we kept bumping into each other and like you know causing violence to each other, possibly. Um, or we couldn't resolve our differences via rational discourse. Um, we formed societies with a social contract such that we would have a third party arbitrator, which would resolve our disputes, uh, would protect us from each other's violence. And in return, uh, we have to offer up some kind of obedience to that um, polity, uh, that, that polity basically guarantee the, our natural rights. So we have to forego some of our rights uh, in order to reach now, you could say, a social contract and become having civic rights now, which is rights within a city. Um, and that's a compromise that just, you know, it's lamentable, uh, as some of these Enlightenment thinkers might say, Rousseau might lament it, but it's it's just what has to happen because there's no other way of protecting your your right to life, property, and so on, so on, and so forth. And then they discuss, well, what are the, the actual rights that you have? So your, your right to um, bodily integrity or well, just the right to do with your body as you see fit. Um, so you're, you, you own yourself. You are the owner of yourself. And 
uh, but what about property right and then and that was actually a major fissure in um uh fissure in in kind of enlightenment thinking because uh well you know like property you're not born with property so what happens that john locke said finders keepers if you find whatever you find on the earth you, you and you can take you it's yours uh, jacques rousseau thinks it's the core, it's the root of all evil um the idea of private property at least to the levels that we that we see in society where the rich have lots of private property and the poor don't have much private property and you'll see the beginnings of the split between um the enlightenment thinkers into what we might call left left wing which is more like socialism and eventually marxism uh, uh and liberalism going in one direction although liberalism will then be watered down um with a bit more socialistic principles because it, it failed in, in the 19th century it caused immense human suffering and you know charles just read charles dickens about it to 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 talk to know learn about the kind of um, problems that liberalism um, in its classical form caused and so then people had to invent um uh social you know liberalism so they said was it um uh, as the say as the saying goes as the social liberals the social liberal revolution um saying goes uh, man cannot live on bread alone but without bread man cannot live right so in essence um the state now must must ensure that people actually get their daily needs met uh otherwise they can't truly be you can't be free if you're dead you can't be free if you're malnourished you can't be free if you have um if you don't have some kind of educational healthcare or something like this. So social liberalism was invented, yeah. and the current liberalism of today uh, is called is basically social liberalism. It's because the, the it's it's more purer version failed in the 19th century. Um, you had like Rothschilds and um, and and many of these big family con conglomerate families owning uh, in America. Uh, this the one percent owned 80 percent of the wealth. You think it's bad now? It was worse in the 19th century. They had to invent antitrust laws to break down monopolies. To prevent now, even though they're merely following the freedom of ownership and doing with your property as you see fit, rules fair, make business deals with consent, they were following all those rules, and it led to uh, massive concentration of wealth, um, massive uh, misery, and so they had to invent ways to break down these massive corporations so that they don't have that that percentage control of the economy as they as they used to. Anyway, that's in a nutshell. Um, you could say liberalism and some of how it's. It, it it has um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. Just for that very uh, um, comprehensive answer, uh, that that was very informative, um, and and I guess this is where we can go into like you, we where 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 it breaks. Uh, you know, they 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 part ways into progressive liberalism, classical liberalism, right? And then we can talk about social engineering. So I think maybe maybe that's a good segue into that. And I mean, is it is it because like apart from libertarians right you you can't be a liberal today without believing in like the necessity of social engineering right uh, you you have to intervene and you have to like this idea of positive rights right uh, it means that you it necessitates you to 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 basically uh, do some kind of social engineering that might end up leaving you in a bit of a paradox in in in, in terms of like uh, within a within a uh, the context of liberalism so um so i don't know maybe you can you can say a bit about that and and uh, and uh, you know where that leads to in in today's context sure um okay so um so libertarianism is really a, a more modern um reaction uh, to social liberalism so in essence you know not all classical liberals wanted to join the social re uh, liberal revolution uh the you know the, the in america you might know is the new deal um, for example, uh, certainly after the Great Depression, um, and 
they they want they believe that the state should stay out of um, the affairs of people, only kind of intervening when, with a police force, with an army, with a fire brigade uh, where necessary, but nothing more than that. Um, now, now these libertarians are not actually exactly classical liberals, because and there's there's a, there's a common confusion, even though they might call themselves. Um, Classical liberal, um, the original liberals, uh, they, they might call themselves the the people of the on the salaf of the of liberalism, right? Uh, uh, they, well, we're following the first we're following the first generations of liberalism. So, well, well not you're not really, um, because the first generation of liberalism, um, even like Adam Smith, who's often vi- revered uh, as a as a cla- you know classical liberal economics, and um, and certainly John Locke and all these individuals, um, they believed it, that the state could uh, charge graded taxes, uh, means tested based for, for rich people get more tax than, than poor people. And the, the, the tax goes towards some of that tax goes towards alleviating the poverty of the poor. They believed in those things. Um, they believed that, you know, that social decor must be maintained. There must, you can't be indecent in public, even if, even if you're not physically harming people, you can't be indecent in public, right? So they believed that was part of what they call the public interest. Okay. Um, but the libertarians are more are like more purer than the classical liberals when it comes to the idea of individualism because they say that the state really should have absolutely nothing to do no, no other interference with society other than as an as an independent arbitrator for disputes you know a police force to protect your life a fire brigade and of course um an army to protect from foreign invasions so libertarians are rather are rather different as the saying goes they um, they view them they're more liberal than classical liberals uh, so it's um it's rather anachronistic of them to call themselves um classical liberals and social liberals which we all know today they're the ones who believe that the state um so social liberal they have a a strong argument they all of them have a strong argument within their the enlightenment ideas that the, the thing is they all have good arguments because there's there's a lot of contradictions within the ideas of individualism itself um, and equality. The idea of equality is just that if we're all sovereign individuals um, over ourselves, then we're all by by default we're going to be equal, right? Because you're all equally um, absolute and sovereign individuals. There's nothing beyond, you know, nothing. Uh, you can't. There's not more absolute than absolute. So, so classical liberal might say that's that's as far as equality equality for me, uh, which so that under the law we just get all treated as individuals because we're all individuals. Whereas a, a social liberal might say, um, well, what we see in society is that there are people who don't have the same opportunities as each other. And it's not fair for um, an individual who's equally individual to any other individual uh, who's is born into a poor background to not be able to at least have a chance to using their natural talents, be able to rise the social ranks, make lots of money and do something um, uh economically you know amazing or interesting for themselves or what have you um so the social liberal says that that's not that's not uh treating everybody as equal individuals because uh, some people are born into a society that that economically discriminates and doesn't give you the same opportunities but the social liberal only goes as far as making equal opportunity um the socialist uh, which ironically also is uh, comes from an individualistic creed. Uh, Karl Marx uh, again follow the enla- same Enlightenment ideas. And Enlightenment ideas, just so you know, Enlightenment is just the Western is the term that the West gave to when they kind of discovered individualism as a as what they viewed to be a viable basis for 
organizing society and ethics. Um, so that's what they call the Enlightenment. Not to be confused with the Renaissance, which is where, where their technological and scientific um, revival and renewal, which happened at least 500 years before the first liberal state even occurred. So liberalism and the scientific revolution uh, has no connection whatsoever. You could you could more say that the Enlightenment popped out as a byproduct of the the type of Renaissance thinking that was coming out, but wasn't but wasn't the cause of the Renaissance, of course. You know, any any, any more as as a as a child is the cause of, of the parents. <laughs> ridiculous, right? Even though they're related uh, to to some extent. So um, so socialists would say, um, you know, I see your equality and I raise you. Yeah, I see your equality of opportunity and I raise you uh, equality of outcome. So they'll say that everyone should be treated, um, you're all equal individuals. You shouldn't be discriminated merely because of uh, your social standing or where you're born or what have you. Uh, but the only way we can truly make uh, real equality where we stop society from discriminating between equal individuals is uh, we give everybody, in essence, the same um, the same. Uh, economic outcomes. Now, uh, socialists don't necessarily believe that everyone should get exactly the same amount of money, but the general formula is um, uh, to from each according to their capacity to each according to their need. So, in essence, a, a, a single mother who's got like four children, she has to spend all you know most of her day looking after the, the children. Uh, she shouldn't be paid the same as, as an able-bodied let's say 25 year old man who's a, a doctor or something right um uh, sorry uh, sorry um she she shouldn't be sorry as, as a as a minor that's it as a, as a minor or whatever because he only has to look after himself right whereas she has kids to to look after as well and, and these are certain needs that need to be taken into account so she must be given maybe more money for example than maybe a able-bodied minor would who who's a young young lad and doesn't really need much uh, you know, just to 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 live and survive and so on and so forth. So that's kind of um, socialism. Uh, but more specifically, socialism believes that the state is in charge of ensuring the equal outcomes for everyone in society. And so that's what a a, a, a real so a full socialist state is. Um, and communism is 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 uh, the end goal of Marxists, which is that the socialist state will eventually you know. Um, uh, it will control the means of production, the, the means of capital, like, for example, you know, uh, the, the industry, the factories, all these things that make things. Um, and eventually it will ensure that everyone has equal access and equal partnership uh, to these things. And no one will be able to privately own these things to the point that you'll create some kind of utopic society where eventually the state will wither away and we'll be living under a, a type of, in essence, um, utopian, egalitarian anarchy, basically, which is what which is which is communism. That's actually the end goal of communism. Um, and so, so so in a way, this is, this is just a few ideas about um, the Enlightenment ideas, the Madahib. And of course, you have a, a, a big reaction to social liberalism, um, which was the conservatist, uh, conservatism. Um, so conservatism is basically the idea, idea that uh, you can't trust formulas to organize human society because um, our knowledge of humans are, are, is imperfect. Um, or subject to, you know, flaws and humans are too complex and things like this. So the conservative actually came from the empiricist kind of school of thought within um, the West, uh, mostly Anglo-Saxon, uh, the continental people, continental philosophers tend to be um, more idealists. Uh, so the, the, the empiricist of the continent looked at the French Revolution, said, no thanks. Um, 
we have we, the Enlightenment can't is, is a dangerous train that could go all the way off the rails. Uh, so we have to keep it within a type of moderation. So uh, conservative, which who believe in individual rights, individual liberties, freedom of ownership, and so on and so forth. But what they'll say is that um, society has a certain culture, which was a, a kind of agreed way of how we interact with each other that's been developed over centuries and centuries, forming a, a, an equilibrium. So now that we've got this individual liberty, or what uh, the conservatives used to call the freedoms of the Englishman, um, now we've got these freedoms, uh, we need to just conserve them and conserve the circumstances that creates these freedoms, which are the social institutions, which are the traditions and, and cultures of the lands which produced these individual freedoms. So we need to, we need to preserve the social institutions because they're the ones that guaranteed um, freedom and individual um, liberty because they produced it in the first place. If you get rid of them, you start changing all this stuff you'll lead to some crazy situation where, you know, where mass beheadings and um, uh, gulags and things like that, which, you know, French Revolution, mass beheadings, they were doing it so much in the name of liberté, égalité, fraternité, that they were invented a machine to do it very efficiently, which is called the, the guillotine. And a, a, a weapon, um, a method of execution that France used until 1976, by the way, right? Most people don't know this, yeah? Beheading, yeah? Um, they beheaded so much, they, be, they beheaded uh, so many people, the French Revolution, it makes ISIS look like the Good Samaritans. So um, by comparison, um, so this is, uh, so the, the conservatives were kind of shocked by this. Um, Edmund Burke, famous kind of, again, he just brought these ideas together, expounded upon them. And so conservatives will believe in individual rights, freedom, freedom of ownership, all the same kind of individualistic stuff you, that you've heard before, but they will say, but we need to preserve the social institutions um, that that created this these individual rights in the first place, that created the circumstance that we had this individual freedom in the first place. So that's kind of a, in a nutshell, uh, most of the main madhahib or schools of thought in the West and how they sprung from the Enlightenment idea and where liberalism kind of sits on that scale. Yeah, just like a lot here. Uh, I mean, I mean that, that was very informative again. Uh, I mean, so, so we spoke about the ideology, a bit of the history, and, and you spoke about human rights and free markets, the philosophical underpinnings, individualism, all that stuff. Uh, before, before I take, before any other brothers takes this on how we relate this to Islam, and I want to bring the other brothers into this question as well, uh, because uh, Abdullah spoke about the ontology of liberalism, right? And he also touched on the epistemology of liberalism, but I want just very briefly, very briefly to, to get back to the epistemology, because I think also one, one of the core uh, philosophical underpinnings of, of liberalism is that we cannot uh, basically reach universal agreement about first principles and what it is to basically live the good life or the way to lead your life or like this, this, it, it feels like it has a bit of a postmodern feel to it in the sense that we can't uh, have this sort of meta narrative about reality and worldview, but at the same time, obviously, that's not what it is because there is uh, this this uh, libertarian meta narrative about human rights and individualism and stuff. So, I mean, th does that does that play a significant role in the liberal mindset? This idea that we cannot, you know, we don't have what it takes to uh, reach absolute truth about, you know, like let's say metaphysical questions or, or worldview. Um, well, um, basically, liberalism uh, emerged from a circumstance where it was, in, in essence, let's say, 
and agree to disagree between um, Protestant Christian sects, which were killing each other and being intolerant. Um, some people think it was the Catholics, but actually no, it was between emerged between Protestants because um, every Protestant suddenly started to run away with the Bible and say all kinds of random things. And then they, they would say that their, that their interpretation of the Bible is the, is the correct one. And everyone who doesn't believe that their interpretation is correct um, is a heretic that deserves to be killed or um, tortured or what have you. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you've got intolerant Lutherans, uh, intolerant Calvinists, um, intolerant Anglicans. Um, many people that went to America were fleeing. Uh, the Anabaptists mostly were fleeing um, intolerant Anglican Church, the Church of England, basically. Um, so they wanted to have freedom to have their different um, beliefs and ideas. Um, uh, but the, the problem is this, this is a certain quirk in, in the West because they base their society around the book, in essence, or, or the Bible, at least ostensibly. And uh, because they, they argue that all morality and all good comes from how they interpret the book, uh, and then falsehood is, all e is evil and bad, everything that's not, that even could be mistaken is bad and evil because it's false. How could you even ever respect or tolerate falsehood, which comes from an old, an old Roman, um, uh, or an emperor, I think Emperor Theodosius II, I believe, that said that um, error has no rights. So they had this idea, um, which led to, uh, once they broke away from the Catholic Church, um, it was a free-for-all, and it was, and the Protestants were killing each other and being very nasty to each other. And so they said, look, okay, uh, we can't resolve this, so let's find a more universal way um, let's co-opt this this idea of you know, natural laws from from physics, even though well, it has nothing to do with human behavior. And let's just assume a bunch of things about how humans should um, should behave based on what we think they would behave in the wild prior to human civilization. Let's speculate, call that natural laws, and then um, build a, a system where where it wouldn't rely on biblical interpretation but on our speculation of what is natural for humans to live, to be, or to live, or, or what have you. And one of those arguments was that um, uh, you can't control human interpretation of text or any or belief generally. And so what you have to do is you need to um, uh, not make the state based upon any one particular interpretation of the Bible. Now, we're not talking about political aspects because the Bible the, the Christians had really gutted a lot of the, uh, removed a lot of the mosaic laws uh, from uh, as an imperative for them to follow anymore. So instead, what they did is they just said, um, because Christians would kill each other over, over um, topics of the Haib, yeah, topics about what you can't see, like for example, um, at communion, if you take, uh, if you're drinking wine and the the bread, is the bread actually literally the body of Christ? Is the wine literally the blood of Christ so so some Christians believe through uh, transubstantiation that it was others said that it's not and they actually would kill each other over these kinds of things because it was heresy right on things where there's, there, there's no uh, there's no definitive uh, explanation in the Bible um, for at least in the New Testament uh, for well, at least what, what Paul was saying about it there's no he didn't explain if he meant it literally or figuratively or what have you I mean like, you drink the wine it doesn't taste like blood you drink, you eat the bread, it doesn't taste like human flesh, whatever that tastes like. Um, so, so the Christians, because they were so, they were like that. They would, they would kill each other over um, following uh, incorrect interpretations of the Bible that were not related to human affairs anyway, <laughs> not related to life's affairs. So they said, look, let's keep that out of um, uh, of politics. Like religion 
completely or, or the Bible um, completely. And we'll simply have a state based on uh, maximizing um, human freedoms up to the limits of everyone else's freedom. So as much as someone can do, that won't affect anybody else. Uh, the big debates that would come in the centuries later is when they realize that humans affect each other in so many different ways. Right? And <laughs> therein then lies the problem in liberalism is that you can't simply say, well, as long as you don't physically punch people on the street as you're walking by, you can do whatever you want. Well, what if I'm a rich multimillionaire and I buy up all the food in this society and uh, I ship it off uh, to someone else, uh, some other country, uh, and there's, a, there's well, there's many people that are dying on the streets of my own country. Uh, that's all fair and good in liberalism. I'm not physically attacking people to do that. I just use my wealth and I bought it fair and square and I'm, I'm shipping it off. And while well, there are poor people starving in my country. Um, those are the kind of problems that you had in liberalism um, at the time. Or, for example, with industrialization, uh, people were expendable. Uh, you had a, a lot of people who were unskilled uh, and undifferentiated labor uh, that you didn't have to care about safety regulations. Uh, you know, um, a, a mine can be just as profitable with a monthly death rate um, as a mine that, um, uh, that doesn't have a death rate. But the issue is that it costs money to put safety procedures in, in place, right, in a mine. So it's actually more profitable for you to accept a, a staff turnaround uh, and let your workers die due to, uh, you know, accidents at work. And um, same in factories. This was the kind of thing that was happening in 19th century liberalism, uh, which led to, you know, abysmal conditions. So this is in essence, um, uh, but this issue is still plaguing us today in different forms, because then, when people, when social liberals got on board and said, now the state has to protect people's interests, whose interest, what interests, who decides these interests, on what criteria, now you're going to have to enforce a particular interpretation of, of the individual, the interests of every individual, and enforce it on everybody, right? So, oh, um, you're free to, to, you're free to not practice, let's say, same-sex intercourse in liberalism, they'll say. So liberalism says you're free to not practice same-sex intercourse. Okay. But then socialism comes along and says, we've kind of discovered that if you express your disagreement with, I mean, before we, you know, you were allowed to express disagreement of same-sex intercourse, but if you express it a bit too much, you kind of create a stigma in society against everyone who does do, right, does engage in same-sex intercourse. And that in a way affects them and limits their comfortable, uh, uh, their comfort and their freedom to engage in that. So you should basically shut up and, and limit your freedom of speech to not express that anymore because you're impinging their freedom, even though it's not physically, right? And that, and that led to, and this is leading to so many internal contradictions within um, uh, liberalism, where it now becomes a state ideology. Uh, in, it's interpreted by you know, a priesthood of politicians and philosophers um, who then uh, through uh, obviously elections and parties and things, one particular interpretation becomes, uh, or, or is implemented by a state and enforce the kind of so that, that's in a nutshell the kind of issues that arose from um, the thing that liberalism uh, came up with. But the, the historical circumstance of liberalism was very different uh, to the Islamic understanding, the Islamic, um, also the Muslim uh, experience of history. And just I'll finish on this before I kind of let the next question, which is so just to kind of explain what does Islam do different, right? Um, so. Um, there was, as we know, there was a caliph who asked, you know, he famously asked Imam Malik, would he like his, his muatta to be uh, his collection of narrations and his opinions uh, to be standardized and become the standard um, 
state-enforced uh, kind of book and fiqh, set of ideas and jurisprudence. So Imam Malik says, <laughs> you know, like, no, he doesn't want this at all. Um, what you find in the Islamic perspective is that um, the Khalifa uh, rules by the Quran and Sunnah, yes. That does require interpretation of the Quran and Sunnah, true. But there's one very, uh, well, there's two very key differences between Islam and the Western experience with the Catholic Church. The first one is that in Islam, the no one except prophets, um, and if, if you're a Shia, they'll say imams too, um, um, know for certain what the correct interpretation is. Right? So no human after the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, can ever claim their interpretation of, the, of Islam is 100% definite beyond what is very clearly apparent in the Quran and Sunnah and mutawatir narrations of the Sunnah. Right? So obviously one God, the, the Rasulullah is a final messenger um, and, and so on and, and, and prophet. Um, these things, yeah, of course, you know, angels exist, heaven and hell. There's no disagreement on this. Um, our, our Salah, we have an amazing, we have more agreement amongst Muslims than uh, Christians do within Christianity, by the way. Right? So our Salah, our, how we pray, the basic structure of that is exactly the same across every school of thought. You can't change it. You know, how many, how many rakah to do for Maghrib? You know, it has it, it has to be three, it can't be five or six or something like this. Um, every school of thought agrees on this matter. However, where there is difference of opinion, it's usually minor things by comparison to other religions, by the way. Um, it's, it's understood that every Muslim uh, is free to have uh, the their best opinion as to what they think the Prophet Muhammad would have would have intended or wanted by any particular uh, pronouncement or action or what the, what um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended or wanted by any verse of the Quran, as long as you, you strive to, to get that, to seek out what is the strongest opinion um, on these things, or what is most likely that they most would have wanted um, uh, by giving an edict or by um, explaining an action, um, you're free to, to adopt any opinion you want. Uh, even if the caliph adopts an opinion, the caliph says, right, everyone, um, when it comes to uh, business transactions, for example, let's, let's say there's two opinions. One opinion states that if I'm going to sell you, if I'm going to sell you a product, you, I say take it as it is. So I leave you to inspect it, and it, you, if you find anything wrong with it, then fine. If you not, if you find out later after you bought it, too bad. The second opinion is I have to. The second opinion might be to, I have to state all the problems with the product before I sell it to you. Right? So. The, the caliph will say, the caliph might adopt the opinion saying, all right, um, everyone must announce all the errors of any particular or problems with a product before they sell it. Right? That's, I'm gonna, that's an adoption. That's tabani. I'm making an adoption. This is law. People must follow it. It's acknowledged that Muslims can, can, must follow it because they have to obey the caliph. Even if they disagree with, the, with the, the idea, they have a different opinion. That's not a problem. And you can even say, um, I'm obeying the caliph. But I disagree with that opinion. I think it's the other opinion, not a problem in Islam. Yeah. And we have a hadith from the Rasulullah, which says, you know, a judge that makes a let's say an interpretation or an ishtahad or a judgment um, and makes a mistake gets one reward. So even though the mistake is in error, so error still gets your reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as long as it was done in, in sincerity. Whereas if you get the if you get the judgment right, you get two rewards. So therefore you should always aim to get the, the correct. Um, judgment because you can double your reward from God, but even error is rewarded um, in uh, in terms of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will reward you for your errors, even as long as you uh, your errors in interpretations, um, even if you would 
even if they're wrong, and they're, in essence, if they're wrong, they're false, right? So how can God reward you for falsehood? Well, no, because your aim was to sincerely find the correct understanding, right? Um, so that's the first thing that Islam has that the West simply didn't doesn't have and led them to their, uh, to kind of fall into this hole uh, that would be liberalism. Uh, the second thing is that... Uh, sorry, sorry, Brother Abdullah, just to elaborate on this point, maybe yeah. if, if you could just... So what, what you're basically saying is that uh, you know the fact that we uh, there is permissiveness within Islam for like disagreement. That means that it it it's it's less susceptible to the kind of conflict that the church fell into. Is that that that's that's the gist of it, right? Yes, yes, because um, you can have disagreement in in fiqh in um, let's say legal and ethical interpretations um, of Islamic law. Yeah. It's not a problem. Disagreement, disagreement, it's not it's not an issue. Um, the second thing is disagreement on what we would call, what some people call theology, but we'd say maybe ilm al-ghayb, the unseen, um, which is a major area where Muslims disagree on. Um, even though many Muslims fell into the ideas of, uh, fell into the, the practice of doing takfir, so let's say excommunication or denouncement, saying to this, but you're not a Muslim anymore uh, because you believe uh, uh, something regarding the asma al-sifat, a particular position regarding the the attributes of God and um, uh, you do ta'wil or, or what have you on this and whatever, right? Um, so even though people didn't do takfir, they did say you're, you're now a, you've now left the religion of Islam, but the state never, for the most part anyway, um, never really got involved to prosecute people for um, irtidad, right? So re reneging it their Islam because uh, the the judge would always would need to have a clear cut verse of Quran or, or, the, or the Sunnah whereby it like the person blat what they're saying is blatantly rejecting this verse or or this um, mutawatir narration of the of the hadith right the mutawatir meaning multiple chains of narration uh, so many chains that we know the Prophet Muhammad said it for certain in essence uh, as opposed to ahad narrations which are single chains and of course, you know, the different schools of thought within, within the Sunni schools disagree on Ahad narrations. Um, we be amongst each other, they read some reject them, some you know, some reject Ahad narrations that others, others accept. Um, because the Ahad narrations only like one or two chains, maybe three or four. Um, but basically, we don't know for certain the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, said the purported narration, and therefore they can in theory be rejected, but you you'd need a good reason why. You can't just say. I don't like what it says, so I'm going to reject it. Right? And that's uh, the argument of the monafic or the hypocrite, right? Um, so, so um, as much as there was takfir going on, uh, even among between quote unquote Sunnis, right? Uh, what we see is um, the the criteria that a judge would would have to expect before applying the law of irtidad on it, on the on an accused individual, someone who's accused of leaving Islam, uh, is 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 a is a high bar, which is that look, if you say that, for example, let's say, uh, are God's hands literal, not literal? Uh, so does he literally have a hand? But what about Bilal Cave? Does he have jism? Does he have a body? Does he have not have a body? Um, the judge would say, well, okay, show me where in the Quran it says God does have a body or God doesn't have a body before we can prosecute someone for a blatant rejection of a particular verse. Right? That's what we need. Yeah. We need that to be met before it can be prosecuted as irtidad. So what you got was this kind of like... Um, uh, an irtidad less than irtidad, uh, a kind of grey area where people just say you, you, you're basically a, a type of heretic, right? Or yeah. ahl bidah, right? Um, but what is the 
like where do we get from the hadith Quran and an hadith uh, that you have to prosecute or persecute Ahl bidah like like to torture them, kill yeah. them? You don't get that, do you? It, but it's just kind yeah. of almost this this, this grey halfway house which was invented because you simply no one could actually uh, to, could kill each other for being heretics, quote unquote, only renegades, right? You know, murtads. Yeah. Yeah. So because we because we never had problems, the state never got involved in. Um, for the most part, um, in Ikhtilaf on the Ghaib, uh, the, there was once where the Mutazilites, uh, there, was some, there was the Mutazilites going, gained control of the Caliphate for about three Caliphs, and they started to implement a Mihna, a type of inquisition to enforce their particular opinion um, on, on people, as um, uh, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal obviously uh, experienced, unfortunately. Um, but apart from that, that time and uh, very small um, moments with, for Muslim history, the judges never got involved in um, ikhtilaf, difference of opinion on, on the ghaib, for example. In the West, in Christendom, uh, yeah, people would be killed for the disagreements on the ghaib, uh, on what is yeah. unseen. Yeah. And so that's so why in, they... In, 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 in that context, Brother Abdul, I mean, because we, we hear, you know, uh, time and time again from, from um, certain peoples who advocate for, for, for secular systems that, that you know, uh, secular systems aren't perfect, but at least, you know, they're progressive in the sense that we can learn from our mistakes and it can be developed. And, you know, we don't have to stick to a seventh century, uh, you know, code of ethics uh, for, for an eternity. So but but based on what you're saying right now, um, th there is a gray area through which there can be a legitimate difference of opinion and there can actually be uh, uh, progressiveness not in the modern uh, uh, not in, not in the way it's, it's used these days but in the sense that well we can uh, uh, basically have genuine difference of opinion we can have genuine disagreement and we can progress with our ideas is 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 there is that included within that gray area you're speaking about right now well when i mean i always laugh when people say um that like uh, you know uh, a lot of secular liberal systems are are modern or progressive, um, more progressive than "quote unquote" Stone Age Islam. Even though um, Islam was actually at, um, past the Iron Age, part into the Medieval Age, basically. But anyway, um, is that they actually follow a an ideology, or not ideology, but a political system uh, and aspects of the of their political system, like the re republic and democracy, which are basically um, Iron Age um, systems. They actually come from not 7th century CE, 7th century BCE, right? So they are, um, they're, I mean, Islam is basically uh, around 1,300 to 400 years more modern than democracy and um, the republic system. But it's maybe it's about the dogma, Brother Abdul. Like maybe what they're saying is the dogmatic factor that's within religion is my, maybe that's what might keep us back in the Stone Age or in the 7th century versus a secular liberal system that isn't really bound by any, you know, metaphysical truth that they need to hold to, and they can hold to a specific foundation and progress from there. So, I mean, um, um, what would you say to that? Well, um, two things. One, historic, historical um, example, and two, um, not so, um, I would say, to that, to, to that claim. So the first thing would be historically the West uh, progressed technologically and scientifically, um, from the 12th century onwards, um, due to contact with the Muslims, it kickstarted their thinking, um, the, uh, the rediscovery of Greek texts, um, their, their discovery of Muslim philosophy uh, and also Muslim science, chemistry, and so on and so forth. It just blew their minds 
uh, they wanted to know more and they started to ask lots of questions and they, then they began they developed a, a method which one could say it, it was it was borrowed from Ibn Haytham but generally it wasn't really Ibn Haytham I would say is the only person that was kind of using this method which is why don't we experiment rather than just believe what the ancient Greeks tell us to believe um, so it was skepticism on the ancient Greeks um, their their claims of medicine their claims of science and the, uh, and to see if we can replicate what they claim happens in certain, certain scenarios and, and to learn knowledge for ourselves by experimentation. So once they, they learn that, they started to progress materially, um, develop a scientific method, uh, you know, Roger Bacon, Monk, Francis Bacon, not related, but later on, um, developing the, the scientific idea. These were theists, they were living in a, in a uh, non-secular society, non-secular state, but science and technology were developing as they uh, started to ask more questions and, and, and were um, uh, kind of progressing in all those fields, um, it was because they started to turn their attention from natural sciences to now uh, the, the human sciences or humanities, which led to their enlightenment, what they call the enlightenment, right? Which is where they create a new ideology for how to organize human beings, right? So that had nothing to do with um, liberalism itself, because liberalism came much later. We, we, the first liberal states were in, in in the world, what America you're seeing at the end of the ninth, end of the 18th century, um, so it's, it's, America's only about what is it about just over 200 years old, in, in essence. Uh, so that's you know, but but the West, the Western Renaissance has been what since uh, it's been 800 years now, right, yeah. of development and change. So no relation. Um, but it was a byproduct, but an un, an unintended byproduct of um, the the West asking questions. Uh, in natural sciences, and then they, it was when they moved on to the, the non-physical uh, sciences and started to question about how to organize society um, from first principles, that they're going to speculate into existence, uh, that they create their enlightenment. Um, so that's that. The second thing is, does do secular liberal states have a non-metaphysical basis uh, for assessing uh, you know, like public policy, you know, good and bad, and so on and so forth? Well, as we all know, good and bad is metaphysical. Uh, justice is a metaphysical concept. These are not concepts that exist in the real world or, or in, in the physical world. So now um, in the West, they they can't agree as to what how to interpret the principle of equality itself, which has led to socialists, Marxists, post-Marxists, neo-Marxists, um, so social democrats, social liberals, classical liberals. Um, uh, Neoliberals are just basically uh, conservatives um, who hanker for classical liberal economics, right? Yeah. Uh, they're called neoliberals, uh, which is really confusing for everybody um, in the terminology. So, so all this and they fought wars with each other. They fought each other over these different interpretations. There's there's guerrilla warfares, revolutions, um, cold wars, proxy battles during the Cold War uh, between everyone following Enlightenment philosophies about how to organize human beings. But they just had different interpretations as to um, uh, how to uh, uh, how to fulfill the individual and how to create an equality between between individuals. Because when social liberalism now wants to give everyone positive rights, the question is, what does a free individual look like? Right. So, what is a free individual look like? Oh, so France has a has an answer: a free individual, someone who um, there is no absolutely no. Uh, no social pressure whatsoever that uh, they will experience due to their religion. So to make sure that they don't get any type of social pressure at all, we have to ban uh, many public 
manifestations of religion in order that they are free. So we, we have an idea of what freedom looks like. And so we're going to force them to be free, yeah. compel them to be free, as, as Rousseau says, uh, not commenting on the current era, but Rousseau's ideas, you know, that's what that's where it comes from. Um, com they must be compelled yeah. to be free. So um, uh, the idea of like uh, the state, uh, so some people will say the state is good, let the state control your lives because the state is voted on by us, the state represents us, our interests, so let the state have more control, it will create um, less crime, it will monitor everywhere, put cameras everywhere, you know, uh, a woman was killed recently, there was an uproar um, about that in London, and, you know, the call is more state security, more increased state security, state will protect us. And then you have other people say, wait, 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 but, but in our history, the state has gone crazy. And if it gets taken over by a cabal or, a, or some kind of um, uh, people who have a, um, uh, who have a conspired agenda amongst themselves, they can take control of the government. And then we, will, we won't be able to get our freedom back once they take it from us. And they ban elections. And then how are you going to get your, your freedom back without being, being able to fight against it? And of course, in America, uh, um, as you know, um, they have, uh, you know, a certain amendment which they keep. On, they they really will jealously guard, which is the right, the amendment that allows them the right to bear arms. Why? Because they follow an older interpretation of liberalism, which says you can't trust the state. So you have to have weapons, so that if the state goes, if the state goes um, off the off the manhaj, <laughs> off the uh, off the dean of liberalism, uh, then you have to be jihadi, right, and fight against the state. Yeah. So it's jihadi. It's liberal jihadism, if you want to call it. Those jihadi weapons. <laughs> Um, yeah, of yeah. course, of course. Yeah. but that, that's why that's what the founding fathers said, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, and 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 I mean that's 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 uh, profound, really. I mean to because because uh, pe people need to realize that you know, first of all, everybody has you know uh, uh, you know metaphysical commitments. I mean this idea that that you know just because you are religious, you have metaphysical commitments, and I as a liberal and just this you know blank slate. You know that that's not committed to any kind of metaphysical truth. It's 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 completely false. And uh, so so the idea is, I mean, obviously you're going to have certain metaphysical principles upon which you're going to you know build a system, and there's going to be conflict within your system, just as much as there's going to be conflict within a religious system that basically builds a structure that is based on metaphysical principles. But we want to say more than that, and and I want to bring Brother Sharif for a second in here, because we want we we don't want to just we we don't just want to say that there are two systems uh, both of which can have conflict and both of which can have problems we want to say that the, the the muslim system is superior of course and so there was a comment here maybe we can go off that right and uh, sharif uh, um uh, i think uh, we can bring you in here for a while because you guys have been quiet for way too long i'm starting to get worried um, muslims living in the west need a reality check trying to compare the days of the Ottoman Empire to today will not help any Muslim living in the West or the East. And and just to, 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 to combine it with this comment, now talk about life has improved for everyone under liberalism, fewer wars, less famine, less violence, equality, voting on leaders. Now, um, Sharif, I don't, I don't really need to ask a question. You can just take it from there and give us your thoughts. You're muted, Sharif. Uh, oh, you're not muted. I... You're not muted, but something is wrong. We can't hear you. Maybe you need to. Yeah, you need to rejoin. You need to rejoin. Yeah, so I won't comment on that. I'll let Sharif jump on that. But um, I, I think like one of the 
the biggest problems that's often not really addressed is just like how there are different kinds of freedoms. So you, you have the positive freedom and the negative freedom. And the positive freedoms often conflict with negative freedoms. Yeah. And this is the where this notion of liberalism really needs to be sort of discussed mainly. Is the US is what we're laughing at. Brother Asadullah here with all with his killer comments as always. Yeah. Uh Sharif, uh, you, you still have a problem. Well, what's going on? Nope. No, okay, hey, bro. Try using your speakers, maybe. Okay, maybe you can rejoin. Yeah, so so yeah, Yusuf, you were saying. Yeah, so um, you've got the positive and the negative freedom. So free, negative freedoms are generally referred to as like securities, um, but they are still freedoms. So like freedom from something, freedom from oppression, freedom from X, Y, and Z. And, uh, and then you've got your positive freedoms, which you're, you're free to act in one way or another. So freedom to do something. And obviously the freedom to stay up all night and party is going to conflict with someone's freedom to, you know, get a decent night's sleep when they've got work the, the next morning and, and, and things like that. So um, if you and the biggest issue is generally that, like, especially if you've got this democracy that's pushed by popular will. Most people, laymen that is, don't really consider this conflict in freedoms. And they, they don't really think of freedom in, in the sense that there are two different kinds of freedoms. They just think of it in the, you know, uh, you know the William Wallace sort of freedom kind of notion. It's just this one value. And we should get more of it, as much of it as possible, more, more, more. And um, the biggest problem with that is obviously when you have popular opinion on notions of freedom pushing um political narratives in terms of democracy and government etc um then you're going to have a, an overlooking of these um the conflicts and freedoms and you, you hear it in the discussions with um many of the lay people and they're just talking about these things they, they don't really see how like they, they, they think you should be free and that the, the government shouldn't really be impeding on um, this, that and the other. But they will talk about certain freedoms in terms of just them being madness um, and, and things like that. And it, it's it's framed in a different way rather than being referred to as a freedom. It's it's referred to as madness or this and the other, although it does fall under the, the, the category of freedom. So I think we've got Sharif back. Assalamu alaikum. MashaAllah, that voice. We hear you perfectly <laughs> loud and clear. I had to uh, change onto my iPad, uh, iPhone. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, uh, as Abdullah and Yusuf answered the question, then Alhamdulillah. No. Uh, Yusuf touched, touched, we'll touched, touched on it, but then yeah, you can go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I've forgotten what the question is now. Um, I think the 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 question I think sort of presupposes that as human beings we sort of solved the world's problems with liberalism and capitalism, and that. You know, by by talking about Islam or the Uthmani Khilafah, we're somehow, you know, going back in uh, and deprogressing where we progressed. And like I said, that assumes a lot. That assumes that we have progressed. That assumes that we have solved things like wars. Now, since the the beginning of uh, twenty twenty, uh, sorry, the, the year two thousand. You know, in the last twenty years or so, we've seen the war on terror. We've seen the invasions of Afghanistan. We've seen bombings in Pakistan. We've seen bombings and drone strikes within Somalia and Yemen. 
we've seen invasions of Iraq, we've seen bombings uh, within Syria, uh, we've seen you know huge disruptions within the economic marketplaces like it, with the 2008 uh, crisis and economic global crash. We've seen uh, millions of people suffer because of the global crash, become homeless, lose their jobs, uh, you know, suffer economically, lose their livelihoods, lose their family in certain uh, circumstances with family breakup. You know, so we've seen huge amounts of problems regards uh, regards to what we see within the West, not least of which. And I think I mentioned this, uh, I think was it two days ago when we had this stream, not least of which that this liberal secular ideology has created one of the greatest environmental crises that the world has ever seen to the extent now people are talking about how the world may within a hundred years or so no longer be habitable for human existence at least parts of the earth which are currently habit habitable for human existence may no longer be habitable anymore now on what basis is that on what whose watch is it is it because the muslims are the problem here is it because they've been implementing sharia and as a result you know we create this global uh, environmental crisis. No, it's because of the liberal secular ideology that's being implemented. So I think people have to really reflect about the current problems and what tends to happen, whether it's talking about the Me Too campaign with sexual abuse and exploitation of women, whether that is talking about racism, which is endemic in places like America or even Britain as well, what tends to happen is people sugarcoat it as these are problems of the isolated individuals and then say, oh, look over there. Look at those bad Muslims. Look at those people who want to call for Sharia. It's almost like you've got problems here, but you completely divert people's attentions and talk about, you know, what's going on in regards to Afghanistan and the fact that women, are, you know, are, you know, being segregated in classes. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of this type of, bait and switch type of approach to get people to you know not really see the real problems that exist within yeah. within today's society and what they mean really when they say these things is i've not experienced the war and that's yeah, it yeah. really it's it they're, they're yeah. safe that where they are hasn't been bombed where they are yeah. is is completely okay but it, but it's very short-sighted that's you being caught up in your bubble as if there isn't problems of you know elsewhere in the world and how Western liberal secular societies have been involved in that and fundamental to a lot of the crises that have been going on there. You go in, we need to make sure we give them this secular liberalism because they need it, you know. Um, we need to compel them to be free, as Abdullah uh, mentioned earlier. And, you know, when it turns out that they're, you know, they're not really that fond of the ideas that we're giving them, um, we're going to have to destroy the structures that they have in place and try to rebuild something. But one of the biggest differences is obviously um, Western secular liberalism has been something that has been um, gradually introduced over very long periods of time, um, relatively. And then they think that it's going to be just as easy to adopt something instantly, like, you know, now, let's, uh, let's implement this now, in a society that hasn't been introduced to it gradually, that hasn't had to sort of acclimatize or get used to these type of things which itself causes huge problems and then they leave and the you know the vacuum that they've left there gives rise to these sort of um you know tribalistic warlords and all of this sort of chaos that manifests out of the problems that they've caused um you know not really considering how these things might work better in a, a western society because of the gradual approach that they've taken to sort of getting them um and 
the other thing that I wanted to mention as well um, was it's there's a huge assumption here that it's liberalism that has um, caused the quote unquote the peace within the West um, and not the, the you know the huge elephant in the room um, which is the introduction of atomic warfare. Each of these secular nations have access to massive nuclear weapons. So there's a huge fear factor here. And this was very prevalent in um, the Cold War era. Like, oh, are we going to, you know, all die in some sort of uh, like nuclear apocalypse? Like that played a huge role in not going to war with each other. Not liberalism per se. And not only that, have you noticed the countries that don't necessarily have access to all of these nuclear weapons are the ones where all the wars are happening? So could we not sort of start to say, well, maybe there's a correlation here. Maybe the fact that there aren't wars has nothing to do with liberalism in and of itself, but it's more to do with the fact that there are nuclear weapons. That, and the evidence of that is that where you have these places that don't have nuclear weapons, that aren't a big scary threat like Russia or China, uh, you know, they're free game. Let's go get them. Let's, let's fight them. Let's, yeah, yeah and, and these are these are Western states which are invading, like you, you had in the early 2000s. Uh, Sierra Leone being invaded by Britain, quote unquote liberal interventionism by Tony Blair at the time. Then obviously Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Syria has been bombed by Britain and America and invaded by Russia as well. Uh, you know, so you know you're right, uh, certainly yourself to a certain extent. But I just wanted to just go back about what Abdullah mentioned earlier about how the West had a very unique experience with Christianity. Uh, that Islam didn't really have. So, for example, you know, uh, the church and the state was completely uh, totalizing when it came to the application of everybody's ideas. You had to follow what that particular state's version of the church understanding was. And if you didn't, then you'd be considered a heretic, you'd be burnt at the stake or executed or punished or imprisoned in one way or another. So this idea of freedom of belief, you know, was a reaction to the church's complete control over people's thoughts and ideas. Whereas, as Abdullah mentioned, we as Muslims, we always had the idea of ijtihad, whether it's in the branch aspects of the deen, uh, even in theology, or whether it was in the, the fiqh, the jurisprudence as well. There was a set criteria which you know everybody agreed upon, which was the, the definitive aspects of Islam. And then within that paradigm, there was areas where scholars could agree. So we never had that. Similarly, you had a situation where the king, uh, who was basically deputized to be ruling on behalf of the church, he had complete ownership of all of the land. If you wanted to own land, you had to get permission off the church. I think it's even the case. Maybe Abdullah can correct me if I'm wrong. But even today, the, the monarch, the queen, she owns everything in the UK, isn't it? Yeah. So it's just... yeah, um, yeah. So basically, the um, uh, so, so some it's not wasn't like the Hollywood depiction of the medieval era where the church sometimes they depict it as. Um, Usually with their sci-fi films, they talk about the future and they kind of used an allegory for the church or the Catholic church. And, the, and, and it was like totalitarian, what have you. Uh, not, not exact, not quite. Um, in fact, the kings and the, and the, the, the clergy or the, the Catholic church bickered with each other. It sometimes even ended up with popes being killed and captured, um, replaced. A whole number of things happening. So it wasn't as, um, as people portray. But basically, the, the church had one um, key insistence, which is 
uh, a deal, you could say, it made with every um, Christian monarch, which is uh, they'll give them legitimacy. So they'll say, you are the appointed uh, ruler by God and no one can rebel against you. Um, and uh, you, in return, you have to basically make sure that everyone abides by the uh, edicts of the church. So uh, once a church, uh, let's say an inquisitor or a church council has found someone to be a heretic, um, they will then uh, condemn that person and they'll be handed over to the secular authorities, the secular authorities being the king and their soldiers and what have you, to be executed because the, the church can't, uh, didn't really have a particular militant arm exactly to, to execute peoples, but the state, each state, each kingdom had to execute the um, the heretics that the Catholic Church deems to be yeah. to be heretics. But apart from that, the, the kings could do pretty much what they liked and it was a good deal between the Catholic Church um, and these kings. But you are correct that the kings, in theory, owned the entire land and everybody were subject, not citizens of, of the state, so they were subjects of the king or the queen and they had to, um, well, they, they had to do what they say. In essence, if you buy a piece of land, you're technically leasing it from the, the queen, uh, in England anyway. Um, you don't really own it, uh, technically speaking, but in practice, you know, the queen does never ask for the yeah. land back. Really. I, I, think, I think the relationship, uh, yeah, uh, what, I agree with what you said, Abdul. I think the relationship, like you mentioned, between the monarch and the church was that the monarch derived his authority from the church. You're right, there was tensions between the two and they're able to get away. But it was the fact that once the monarch derived his authority and the monarch was able to literally own everything and you had a very feudalistic type society. So, you know, somebody could may, be made, uh, uh, you could be, he's granted land, he becomes a landlord, he has serfs that work upon his land. The serfs could be literally turfed out of the land uh, uh, that they're working upon, made completely homeless. And if they have that, then they're literally going to starve to death. And even the king can do that to the landlord as well, because he ultimately has ownership. And, you know, there's the whole dis whole discussions and, you know, the, the idea of Robin Hood and Magna Carta came out about regards to this. But I think what happened was that because they saw the, the, the fact that the, the church had legitimized the king, there was this idea that, hold on, the king and the, the monarch, is abusive in its power and in order to sort of talk about monarchy and authority now you had to define it in a way which was different than just simply saying it's a religious edict from either the catholic church or the church of england or whatever it was um uh, that gave that legitimacy and so therefore they start to talk about political freedoms and this idea that you know people should be free to own things free to think about things, free to express things, because if you don't have these type, or free to do what they want, personal freedom, because they don't have these things, then what's going to happen is you're going to have this totalitarian state, and that's going to impinge upon the sovereignty of the individual. And as you mentioned, Abdullah, the sovereignty of the individual, they see as the highest thing for, uh, to be aspired to regards to society. And I think the other thing that's, that is really important in terms of understanding metaphysical commitments of uh of liberalism that they have is they had this view about happiness as well you know um there was a, a famous uh, i think he was a dutch uh political philosopher his name was bernard de mandeville um he yeah he, he wrote a book called the fables of the bees yeah the fables of the bees and basically what it was it was just, it was like an allegory 
about how you've got this bee community, this beehive, which is purely spiritual. And it tries to, you know, just ignore the material aspects of life and just worship and do all these types of things. And then the bee colony fails. And then you've got this bee community, which is purely materialistic. They're just purely out in terms of pursuing their self-interest. And the beehive succeeds. And so what uh, Bernard de Mandeville is trying to give as an allegory is this idea that virtue is not necessarily just seeking spiritual value. In fact, it can be seen as if, you know, uh, non-virtuous to do this. And that this perception of greed as being not virtuous can is actually virtuous. This was his argument. So his argument was that actually human beings, their drive, their desire to pursue happiness is for material gratification or material satisfaction. Yeah. And then you had other thinkers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who's, uh, as uh, I think Abdullah pointed out earlier, about how everybody's uh, in this natural state, this natural right of freedom, and he's in the ultimate happiness because nothing restricts him except nature. Then it was a question, well, how do you preserve that natural happiness, the greatest happiness of an individual, when you bring other individuals together in a civil society? And then they argued about preserving the uh, uh, the maximum freedom of, sorry, the freedom of the maximum number of individuals as a way to preserve this natural state uh, or the greatest form of happiness, and that each individual should be able to pursue happiness as and when they want without state intervention. So there's there's a lot of presuppositions when it comes to the idea of human beings, that they are sovereign, the idea that, uh, you know, human beings only pursue material value, that the means to happiness is gratification of the desires, sensual desires. And then this idea that freedom of the individual is the is the goal of society, is what society should try to preserve. And uh, I think as I think it's already been mentioned a few points, which is that there is always going to be a tension now within Western societies where there is going to be competing freedoms and you know, which one prevails over another. Is it the freedom of belief over the freedom of expression or the personal freedoms or is it vice versa? And we've seen this play out with particularly within Europe, particularly there are certain cases uh, like in Northern Ireland where there was a Christian baker, uh, they were asked by a uh, 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 an LGBT couple to produce a um, cake in which it supported gay marriage, because at the time it was illegal in Northern Ireland, and they refused, and they were taken to court, and they were prosecuted, and then they went to the Court of Human Rights, European Court of Human Rights, and the European Court of Human Rights upheld uh, the, the gay couple and, and upheld the prosecution against the Christian couple, even though the Christian couple argued, well, this is our freedom, uh, so our fr freedom of belief that's being impinged here. We're being forced to adopt this set of ideas that we disagree with. And they were told, no, their freedom supersedes your freedom. So you have these natural tensions within societies built upon liberalism. Uh, so yeah, so don't mean to go on. Yeah, yeah, JazakAllah Khair, thank you. No, that was that that was good. That's why that's why I'm not uh, stopping you. And uh, we're gonna have Collins uh, very soon, are we? Aren't we? If I may, um, kind of interject yeah. some additional points. Yeah, I want to give. Um, go ahead. I want to give some other examples um, because I fear that there might be some, uh, let's say, non-Muslims of the liberal bent watching this, um, and they'll be saying they're going to be saying, "Oh, what? So what about a baker and a cake? Who cares? I'm not a baker. I don't care about cakes." So, okay, well, let's take then three 
major issues uh, which have effect in the West and are um, typical of the internal contradictions within the West. So um, the first and most biggest thing is, of course, wealth, um, which is even if you have a social liberal state, which will aim to give social welfare payments to the poor uh, to prevent them from starving to death, let's just say. So they say we have that we have welfare payments. So, you know, who, so, you know, what's wrong with having interest banking? What's wrong with having um, the types of practices of stocks and shares that lead to problems and um, and printing out fiat currency? What's wrong with all that stuff? Then if, if we have a state that at least guarantees people can eat. right? Well, the problem is that the state can only pay people's welfare checks if it has money and the money must come from somewhere. And so the money must come from taxes. But what we find uh, just currently in the UK is that the British government, um, despite having obviously access to being able to to tax um, uh, the mega rich quite su successfully, uh, and if they imposed, if everyone actually imposed at least a one to two percent wealth tax in all Western countries, a wealth tax every year, whatever their wealth they pay a percentage of that, so two one to two percent of their wealth every year, like zakat, basically Islamic concept of zakat. Um, we would have we would we could eliminate poverty. But then the, the problem is that these rich people will say, OK, we'll just take our money and place it in the Cayman Islands or somewhere else. And we, we won't invest in your country and then you'll lose money. Right. So you need to not tax us. Um, otherwise, we'll make your country poorer. Right. So at least have something rather than not absolutely nothing. And so because of that, they don't tax the mega rich and there's not enough money in the coffers to pay the, the poor. Uh, when there's when there's that much concentration of wealth, it doesn't matter if the state's committed to paying the poor. It doesn't if it doesn't have enough enough money. What does it, what it do? It cuts the welfare checks, which is what's happening right now in the UK. They, they're cutting the welfare payments. America, the welfare system is even worse. Right, America's closer to the the liberal salaf <laughs> um, idea, a little more closer to it um, than than we are. Um, and uh, you know, like the, the welfare-based system, the world welfare system in America, I heard is or United States of America, uh, is um, is is really uh, abysmal compared to to Europe. Um, anyway, so th so there's that. I mean, you know, because you allow freedom of ownership, so people say, well, freedom of ownership. If I want to lend money to people, and then we have a, we have a contract, a consensual contract, where they pay me more money back than I lend them. You know, that's just all fair and square in liberalism. But what happens in a society where the rich people lend money to those who are poor themselves and then expect money to come back to them extra, right? What happens? Yeah, you're going to have money going in one direction, net, uh, net that is, yeah? Money very conducive for distribution uh, of wealth and the circulation of wealth. What does Islam do? Obviously, we ban interest banking because we don't believe you have an absolute right of um uh, freedom of ownership to do whatever you want. Of course, liberalism itself doesn't believe in absolute freedom of ownership because of all the internal contradictions. There's a lot of things that will be, uh, you'll be deprived of ownership from, or you will be restricted in what you can do with your with the ownership, um, such as um, insider trading on the uh, stocks and shares and so on. So that's prohibited for you to do, of course, even though it's all fair and consensual. No, um, so that that's that's number one, and, and I'm really just touching touching so the tip of the iceberg, rather, really just really just skimming it on the issue of um, the wealth system in liberalism, that's capitalism. Let's take two more, let's take two social aspects of liberalism uh, to illustrate our point. So in liberalism, um, if someone was to go and let's say expose themselves to women in public, right? so when a, like a dirty old man, as they say, goes with a big trench coat or whatever, um, you know, exposes themselves to women in public, right? What would happen? Well, they'll say, 
uh, well, that's of course sexual harassment, right? It's, it's, it's almost like a type, type of sexual assault. Even if the man doesn't touch them, even if the man does not do anything to them physically, just expose themselves. They'll say that's sexual harassment because you're creating a sexually offensive environment uh, to that person. They, they will be offended by it. Um, they'll feel uh, somehow uh, emotionally assaulted um, because you're exposing them to a, a sexual, let's say, stimuli against their will. OK, and that's wrong. And, you know, what have you say, OK, well, you know, we, we totally agree as Muslims with that. Um, however, what would you say if, let's say, and let's just be consistent here on this. Um, if, let's say, women and men as well uh, go out with scantily clad clothing, which reveals or uh, and even accentuates on points, draws more attention to the sexual aspects of the, the men and women's bodies in public. Uh, and that that is against the the consent of people who want to go outside just to do their local to do their job to go to the library. People still go to libraries these days, um, to the coffee shop or what have you, and they are bombarded with sexual stimuli that they have no they, no one asked their consent for. No one asked them to. And of course, as you know, sexual stimuli produces um, obviously unconscious uh, reactions, uh, at least first stage arousal, and it's not. A, you don't choose to be aroused or you don't choose to be affected by sexual stimuli. Um, you don't, there's no switch in a, in a man and a woman's brain that says, I, I choose not to be, um, not to find someone attractive or not to find something sexually uh, stimulating negatively or positively, whatever the case might be. Um, so could you not then make the exact same case that people going out with sexually revealing clothes or, or sexually accentuating clothes are committing public sexual harassment? Okay. Now the libertarian, the libertarian will will say to, will say in this. Look, if people want to, if there are these dirty old men that want to go out onto the streets and flash themselves in front of women, as long as they're not physically assaulting them, the libertarian will say they have no problem with that. Right? The libertarian is more consistent with their principles, but the social liberal and the classical liberal will be, ah, no, we don't, we don't like that, but. But then, okay, well, then what about other forms of sexual harassment, which could be uh, just as much as harassing, um, arguably very much so, right? Um, I, I, you know, many, many people, uh, uh, Muslim, non-Muslim, male or female, refer to it as a type of, well, they were not in the Arabic, they wouldn't use the word fitna, but fitna would be the word that the Muslims would use for it, right? Um, sexual harassment, no? Oh, no, but that impinges against um, uh, women's rights to, uh, to control their bodies and say, well, we're not talking about your bodies. We're talking about the clothes. Yeah. yeah. Because then doesn't the old, doesn't the dirty old gentleman also have a right to then, let's say, control his body and do whatever he wants in public as long as not physically um, hurting. So, so here's a contradiction. And I will leave with, an, with another contradiction, which I find um, uh, particularly uh, well humorous as well as tragic because of the consequences. So um, alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So they say, okay, now, uh, social liberals at one point did try to outlaw alcohol. They said that it, it does rob people's capacity to uh, make informed choices. So it's robbing their freedom, makes you dependent or addicted to a substance. So they managed to ban most drugs, but alcohol didn't really go very well. And of course, in America, there was a pushback uh, against the prohibition era. In England, it never reached it never reached um, it being prohibited to even be repealed. And, and it was, wasn't that successful, but it was, there was a drive among social liberals to do it. Society just wants wants to have some beer, so they, they, they kind of ultimately rejected it. Um, but here's the thing, right? Here's the problem you get. 
So in, uh, in, in many liberal systems, of course, they say that uh, if you're inebriated, so if let's say a woman or, or, or a man uh, is inebriated, um, you, they can't give consent to sex. So if you, if you actually are going to these nightclubs to do what is legally permitted for you to do in liberal societies, which is go up and find someone maybe and take them back home and sleep with them, all legally permitted as long as it's consensual. Um, but let's say they've had too much to drink, okay? Then technically, even if the person appears consensual, uh, says they want to do it, wants to engage in it, but you could be raping that person because they might be too inebriated to consent, okay? So people say, well, there's a problem with that. I say, okay, well, there's, but, but then just be consistent, yeah? My argument is only on consistency. I don't know if you see where I'm going this. If someone then commits a crime while inebriated, they can't be blamed for it then because they, they didn't make a rationally informed choice. It wasn't a choice. There's no mens rea, mens rea being Latin me meaning you have the intent in your mind, intent to do bad. You can't give consent to, be, to have mens rea, to have criminal intent. If you're inebriated, oh, but they can't let people off to do, who do crimes while they're inebriated though because so many people do them. So what do you do? But it doesn't make sense because then how, how can you punish someone for having sex with someone inebriated because they are not in their right minds to make any choice and yet you will punish someone who do crimes while inebriated. It also reminded me of a situation in America though it didn't go to the courts, but it went, it was, it was, it was uh, an attorney by a university. Um, <coughs> a male student and a female student um, slept with each other, okay, in a, in some, in a university dormitory. But in this particular case, the woman um, actually was very aggressive. She went to the guy's room. She kept going in, uh, banging the door, wanting to sleep with him. Uh, her friends kept yanking her out, saying, don't, like, like, don't do it. And she kept going out of her room again she, she, and basically being very aggressively wanting to sleep with that man. So very aggressive. Actually, she was a physically aggressive one. But she was inebriated. So after the, after the fact, they after how many days after before, she, after that, she then said that she was too inebriated to consent, and so it was rape. Um, the only thing that saved the, the young gentleman from being um, a rapist and it may be going to the police was that there were witnesses to, to say that he appeared also to, to be inebriated himself. And so, in effect, uh, they raped each other. But... Um, the woman wouldn't be accused of being a rapist because she's the aggressive one here, right? Because, oh, but she was inebriated. But if a man commits a rape while inebriated, is he, not, is he not still a rapist? Does he not still deserve to be punished for rape? Do you see now all these contradictions that come into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really confusing contradictions. That, that was the comment I was going to make. It's like, even if there's no harm involved and both parties are consenting and one of them later, if it's the, the woman that generally t changes her mind or feels shame or guilt or whatever for the experience um, when she was drunk, th that can still be considered rape, even though he was drunk. And th th that's the huge question. It's like, well, where, how, how is it that you draw this line here? And and then obviously there's an inconsistency in, in how it's applied, like you mentioned there with regards to um, the woman when she's the aggressive one. Um, but even in the case when there's no aggressive parties, there is, there's always still a, a larger chance that the male will still be considered a rapist, despite him also being under the influence and, you know, technically consenting to it at the time. And the, the female being 
uh, under the influence and consenting at the time. Later on, um, you know, that can still cause problems for the, the male party involved in that. And very, very rarely, if never, um, for the female part of the yeah. thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just want to tell everybody that the link is out for joining. If you guys want to call in, uh, the link is right there. You guys can just click the link and, and join to ask your questions. Uh, and, and maybe while people are joining, uh, Sharif or Yusuf or Brother Abdullah, Yusuf, you spoke the least. So maybe you, because because basically based on what uh, uh, Brother Abdullah just said, this might be relevant. Because there seems to be a number of questions. They're saying, well, why, why, why do, you, why do you guys hate liberalism? Basically, why isn't aren't there good things about liberalism? Isn't there some sort of common ground? But I mean, Brother Abdullah just said that there are things we have in common, which is like, for example, yeah. the first incident he gave. Uh, but uh, yeah, but but maybe maybe you can address this, Yusuf. Is it just yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it touches yeah. as well. So uh, Brother Jordan, I think the comment's too high to bring it up now. Um, but he did say, um, you know. Do Muslims not make use of liberalism like with dawah? Um, you know, would they be able to give dawah in the West if it wasn't for liberalism? And then there was a, li a little back and forth with someone after it, uh, Willie the Kid or Willie the Kid, uh, who basically said, Oh, well, you know, well, leave then, go. You know, if you're going to be like that, it's hypocrisy if you don't leave. But this is the thing, it's, it's, the, the issue stems from the fact that there are constantly these inconsistencies. They talk about liberalism, but it is very rarely consistently applied. And there's been lots of examples given. And so obviously there's an, an advantage here with regards to being able to give dawah um, insofar as it's being held consistently. But it rarely is. And like you, you see, in um, for example, in, the, uh, in Scotland at the moment, um, there are certain laws being passed which allow the teachers to, if a child decides they want to change their name and change their gender, etc., uh, the teachers have the power um, to facilitate that without the permission of the parents, and they don't even have to tell the parents. Um, from as young as three or four, or something ridiculous like that. And so th there's this, th there's obviously a tension here with regards to freedoms as well. And the religious, and not just the Muslim, by the way, but the Catholic and the Jew, etc., um, are going to say, no, like, I play a huge role in my child's life. I do not feel like that they are old enough to be able to even start thinking about the sort of topics that you're trying to push onto them, where they think that this is a possibility. Like, for example, are we just going to allow them if they start saying, you know, when they're playing pretend and they're, they're saying they're a bat, are we going to let the teachers facilitate them becoming a bat? Like, and if not, why not? Like, and so there's all these sort of weird inconsistencies and all these problems, and they often conflict. Like, fair enough, but you know, when it comes to talking about certain things and talking about the Islamic principles on them, it's referred to as bigoted and shut down a lot of the times. In, in university, there was a very clear line that you just could not cross, and you're, there's no talking about that at all. And so a lot of conversations were avoided because there was a huge amount of anxiety in the room about them. And so this is the issue. It's like you keep talking about liberalism, but you're only talking about liberalism for a certain group, for a certain clique. And we can, we can give dawah and we can talk about certain things up to a certain extent, And at, at which point we um, it becomes very difficult to say anything. And so you, you just have to not cross that line or risk being subjected to 
um, being shut down. Like your organizations be, can be closed. And this has happened. Like you look at France as a, a really good example of this, um, where, you know, you've got this quote unquote liberal society um, where organizations that are Islamic are being shut down because they don't consider the state to be higher than God. And and they see this as a danger to their liberalism. And so, so what do you do here? What do you do here? You like, we can give dawah, yes, um, but it's very enclosed and very limited, and it also motivates or enforces in many cases, especially with people who are a lot, um, like uh, very weak-willed, um, a, a transformation of of what Islam truly is, and they end up having to adopt these liberal notions in order to or the secular modern notions of um, right and wrong. And it, it changes Islam, and they, they become different um, as a result of the pressures put on them. Um, and so these are certain issues. And it's yeah. it's not hypocrisy. Like, we believe Islam is true, and we believe we have a duty to call people to it. Now, whether that's over in a Muslim country or whether that's here, and, and also it, it completely neglects um, personal circumstances. Like, I have, I have a daughter and family here, I'm a reaver. I'm not from anywhere else. Why should I leave? Why should I leave? If if I'm here, and if I do leave, that I'm not going to be able to take my family with me. I can't take my daughter with me because of the circumstances that I'm under. She, there's there's no, and and if I do leave, then what Islamic influence is she going to have? I'm the only Muslim like that's practicing like anywhere near her, um, in terms of my family and the people that she has around me, and so. Why? Why should I leave? Why should I? And if I, you know, I have um, a love for people here, and I, I want them to become Muslim. So why would I not stay and do my best to try call them to that which I see is true? How is that hypocritical? It's not. You want to grant liberalism, be consistent with it, and allow me to say it, and allow me to critique it. And yeah, like the, so the way I see, it, I mean, what you were just saying right now is just it's, it's quite silly because like if every time somebody or a group of people started to critique a political system or an ideology within the country, they had to pack up their bags and leave. I mean, it's not very liberal. <laughs> thinking, right, is it? So it's, it's not really because it's not really because you're 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 critical of a particular ideology. It's more because you're Muslim, because I mean, everybody is critical of something. I mean, all oppositions all around the world need to yeah, back yeah, up yeah, and yeah. leave somewhere. It's quite but but the, I, the irony is as well. The irony is, is the hypocrisy is on yeah. the person who called us a hypocrite. The hypocrisy is, is no, if, if liberalism is that great, then let me critique it. Yeah, let me critique yeah. it. Like, I, you know what it is? People who people who turn around and they say liberalism is fantastic, and you know you can say what you want to say. They live in in to be quite frank, they live in cloud cuckoo land. land yeah, they live politically naive uh, lives. Yeah, just a couple of examples. Zaka Nike's banned from entering this country in Britain. Yeah, he's not allowed because quote unquote he's seen as an extremist and a fundamentalist. Yeah. Mufti Menk, yeah, this quite uh, soft hearted Muslim scholar who talks more about the personal development of an individual, he was banned across a number of universities in the UK. I myself was banned across a number of universities and colleges in the UK because of talking and critiquing liberalism and secularism and calling for certain political ideas based upon Islam, yeah? So this idea that 
you know, we live in this totally tolerant, everybody can say what they want, you can do all your dawah. It just boggles belief, especially when you we're on YouTube at this moment in time. And we know we could be shut down, to be quite frank. Yeah. Like, for example, they've shut down any videos which are anti-vaccines. Vaccines. Now, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. But any videos which promote the idea that vaccines are dangerous are now being prohibited on YouTube. You can't have them anymore. Where's liberalism there? Where's this idea that everybody should be free to express their ideas and the 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 best ideas will then uh, win through. Yeah. You don't see that. In this society, there is a law called PREVENT, or CVE, Countering Violent Extremism. Yeah, PREVENT. Now, PREVENT is applied across the board. Schools, hospitals, uh, any public uh, building, even mosques have to abide by it, where if they identify somebody who may not break the law, may not break the law, but he may express ideas which are quote-unquote seen as extremists or not within the liberal norm, then the, the authorities of that particular institution, civil institution, are obligated under the law to report him to the counter-extremism uh, authorities within the UK. Yeah, Fun and story. Many, and Fun story. Yeah, go on. Sorry, quick, one, yeah, go. quick one. Yeah, yeah. So, in uni, I was gripped by Prevent. Um, and I thought, oh crap! Like, why? What's going on here? And uh, and then I, I went there and I went all like muzzied up. I had my little school cap on and that. And I sat down and, and they were like, oh, we weren't expecting this. I was like, what? Why? And they thought I was um, a right wing extremist. I, I see philosophy. <laughs> and I was I was um, looking up like what was going on with Tommy Robinson and uh, a lot of the far right. And one of the reasons is obviously like a lot of their stuff is very anti-Islamic polemics. And I'm looking at what they're saying and, and um, I'm a philosophy student. I'm engaging with the, the thoughts that they're putting forward. Um, but because I'd went on one of their websites, it was flagged as a dangerous website. It flagged me as um, a potential uh, far-right Islamophobe, <laughs> which, which yeah. obviously uh, sent their head a bit west when I, yeah, I turned yeah. up in a and, and you know a few years ago, David Cameron, who's a Prime Minister of Britain, for those who don't know, he said, and this is his statement, he says, for too long, for too long, we have been a passively tolerant society, saying to our citizens, as long as you obey the law, we will leave you alone. It is often meant that we have stood neutral between different values. And, that, and then he goes on saying, that's helped foster a narrative of extremism and grievance. So David Cameron, when he was Prime Minister, leader of Britain, was basically saying, There's, we've been too tolerant, yeah? Just allowing people to obey the law is not sufficient. We need them to adopt a certain set of ideas. And we see this now across a lot of the schooling system in Britain, where they have a particular curriculum related to British values, which have to be taught cross-curricular as well, uh, means across different areas of subject matters, including also things like LGBTQI, yeah, has to be taught. And anybody who criticizes this, whether that student, could be reported to the authorities under the PREVENT uh, program, yeah. And then they're put what they call channel program, it's called a channel program, where they're then sat down and so-called de-radicalized by the state to adopt the state set of values. 
Yeah. So I think we should start bringing on the guests as well. Yeah, sorry. I could go yeah, on for yeah. this a we're, long we're, time. We're going to bring on calls, but I think, I think Brother ahead. Abdullah, sorry, I think Brother Abdullah wants to say something, and we're, we're bringing on the first caller, but Brother Abdullah is going to make a comment, and then he'll ask his question, inshallah. Sure. Just on the, um, the freedom of speech. Uh, now, I think there was a recent debate um, where uh, one of the brothers said to a, I think, ex-Muslim Slim that, um, why don't you call for... So you, you like he was, he was accused of like why you you're in the West and you're you know why don't you just leave the West and go to some Muslim or Islamic regime and so the response was okay well the one you tell all those um, ex-Muslims liberals secularists atheists in the Muslim world to leave the Muslim world because the world is not the, the Muslim world is clearly not following what you believe in and move to those poor countries uh, which are liberal fully liberal like Botswana and um, South America and so on and so forth right so why don't you just go there. Um, which is a valid point. Like, why don't we? Why don't all those individuals who've been preaching their um, atheism, liberalism, secularism, feminism, or what have you, leave the Muslim world um, and go elsewhere? Now, the Muslim world is not ruling by Islam per se, but it's not. It doesn't represent their ideal. So why don't they leave? Why doesn't? Why doesn't everyone who touts an ideology different from the state they're in just leave and find a state that has that ideology? All those uh, was it. Uh, let's say rights campaigners in China should leave China and go to somewhere that believes in rights. Right? So they shouldn't work to change their society for the good um, or to, uh, they should just go somewhere else. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, they would never accept that, but they're totally happy to level it um, at ourselves. Of course, in, you know, here in the West, um, we, uh, we, we, we call to Islam, but we also, uh, because of the internet and because of the fact that unfortunately uh, the world is becoming more Anglophone, um, we are in a very good position to actually be able to uh, reach out to the Muslims in the Muslim world, um, even because of the English language, unfortunately, due to colonization. But anyway, there's that. The second point is, um, in an Islamic society, as we knew in our past, um, uh, there was a freedom to uh, to speak and uh, explain your ideas and seek out the truth for the sake of seeking the truth. What's the point of freedom of speech? What is the point of it? What does it serve? Um, is it just to serve to uh, um, placate people who, people who have an anti-social Tourette's that they must just say expletives and swear words at people, right? Um, a, a voluntary and elective Tourette's, just to placate people who have elective Tourette's, yeah, not people who obviously is, is involuntary. Um, but that's just ridiculous, right? I don't think people say, I feel much happier with my life because I can, I can shout and swear at people and make them feel bad about themselves. I think that increases happiness in society. That's a ridiculous argument. The point of freedom of speech is, at least by the Enlightenment you know, thinkers, was to pursue truth, right? which we believe wholeheartedly. And so even in, um, in societies where the West depicts them as anachronistically as being um, oppressive or you couldn't express what, which, what you wanted to say, like in the in Islamic caliphates in the past, from, you know, from uh, the, caliph, from the right, rightly guided caliphs to the Umayyads, to Abbasids and so on and so forth, um, Muslims had academic discourses, intellectual discourses, Christians, Jews, even atheists, um, Zoroastrians, all others having all kinds of discourses publicly and openly because it was about the pursuit of truth. Islam doesn't prohibit that. Uh, a Muslim can even publicly say that they have doubts about Islam. They're facing some doubts. They would, uh, they, they would like to speak to people about it. Um, that's not a problem. That's not criminalized in, in an Islamic state. If that's what you feel, then express it because then you can have a, someone come to you and explain things and discuss things and, you know, and because Islam has nothing to, to fear or to hide. So we don't have a problem with people expressing they have doubts because that's the best and surest way we can have those doubts quenched 
with facts and knowledge. So that's not an issue. However, um, in the West, as for the freedom of speech issue in the West, um, the, as Sheriff Abulev has correctly said, um, it's rather deceptive, but the, the West has certain methods to restrict what it calls to be um, existentially dangerous um, ideas, ideas which are dangerous to the ruling ideology. It, it just realizes that empirically, if you lock people up, it makes them into a martyr, people listen to them more, it doesn't work very well to lock people up. So the best way is, first you see, most movements will fizzle out. So you just wait for them, they fizzle out, you don't have to deal with them, no problem. But what if they get very strong and powerful and what if they question the ruling ideology itself? Okay, as the mantra in many, uh, by many politicians in the West, which is um, uh, no tolerance for intolerance, as they say, right? Uh, but that's what they use they to use say this. to things which are not liberal. They just call it not liberal things are intolerant. And we can't tolerate, ironically, intolerance. So they have different strategies. Uh, so uh, the McCarthyite, you know, McCarthyite witch hunts against communists um, in, in the United States of America. Um, the, and of course, the, the government, which is meant to be neutral, the government's meant to be neutral between different values, but will actively fund programs of, um, you know, some would say indoctrination programs for kids and schools to change their curriculums to make sure that they don't subscribe to an ideology they, that the state doesn't want them to subscribe to. Um, the agents of communism were monitored, harassed, denied jobs, blacklisted, happened in the United, in United Kingdom as well, right? So you can't get a job, so you can't fund your you can't fund your communist dawah, your core, if you don't have a job, you don't have money, and you don't, and even you have trouble finding a place to live, um, because no one will rent to you because you've been blacklisted, and because the government will make your life very difficult. Yeah, uh, because it has more power, it has agents, and the agents, as I said, you can take them to court, but if you can't prove what, whatever they're doing to you, that they're, they're, they're these agencies behind the scenes, then what case do you have in court? Well, the government's harassing me. Okay, give us evidence. Well, they just call people and they contact people and they tell people and and the government just say, we didn't do it. it wasn't us. It's just, you know, uh, we weren't behind these mysterious individuals with, was it black shades and a dark suit and dark tie and so and so, right? Not us. So that's what the government generally does. In England, uh, uh, there was prevent the prevent duty, uh, which gave government um, the ability to, well, not gave the government the ability to, but rather the mandate to start um, harassing and, uh, limiting the platforms that Muslims who were um, talking to a holistic Islam could speak on. So certain political parties, Muslim political parties who are non-violent, couldn't find any public any uh, public space or, or building to have um, you know gatherings or congresses or rallies or what have you. Um, uh, uh, people again, you know, people were harassed in their jobs, kicked out of their job. There was uh, an, as as I, I've uh, I've also encountered people in the civil service identify to hold certain opinions which are not in line with government ideology just get fired and say that you're a liability or your your civil service is uh, subject to um we have doubt on your impartiality or to your civil service like why would that be a problem you're just a civil servant right you you, you serve the people we believe everyone's believed in serving the people to help people oh no but you don't follow state ideology you're a liability yada yada, yada. so these are the kind of things that um the west does and of course uh, when that doesn't work, they escalate. So in Europe, they escalate, uh, you know, Austria, Austria, once they escalate to laws, which actually then stop foreign funding of mosques in Austria, because they're de uh, and um, making the, the imams must be local and, 
And in, in France, they want to have education program monitored to ensure what the imams are teaching. And of course, Islamic organizations can be shut down. Um, in England, the you can't have a charity. It's not like America. In England, you can't have a charity unless you register with the Charity Commission, which is like a government, um, you could say, agency to regulate charities. And they can simply deny or withhold or withhold from you charity status if your charity is advocating something which they deem to be um, extremist, like uh, like not not terrorist, not militant, not violent, just ideologically extremist. Okay. Now, although they can't officially do it, but they de facto can do it. Uh, although they tried to make it official, but there was a lot of um, they were worried they'd be you know, challenged in court. So, because like what is extremism? That was very hard to define. So instead, it's more de facto. They'll say, okay, well, if we just happen to um, to withhold giving charity recognition to any particular charity that we don't that we don't like, and we can just find any excuse or not even give an excuse, what can you do about it? Nothing. So, in the West, um, I often said that the West Western tolerance is the delayed onset of its intolerance. And um, anyway. Uh, that's just 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 my my two cents. Oh, and last but not least, sorry, it was an example in England. Uh, a few Christian preachers, on not not Muslims, Christian preachers in the streets, um, have been arrested. Once were arrested, arrested and prosecuted, successfully prosecuted um, for um, publicly condemning um, uh, same-sex relationships. He was calling to the Bible, and some guy, you know, a street preacher, and he was said something untoward. Someone reporting to the police was arrested and prosecuted for um, hate crime against uh, same-sex relationships. Or, or people of same-sex attraction, um, even though he was calling to the Bible, was calling to his Christian belief and so on and so forth. Is that freedom of speech? So anyway, yeah, he, he, he wasn't calling, the, the Christian wasn't even calling to violence, by the way. He wasn't calling for any harm to be done, but he was yeah. just saying that it's sinful. I, I think we got, uh, was it Unique Traveller? Yeah, I just want to mention something as well to um, the, the guests that are coming on. We want to prioritize uh, liberals specifically. So if you're not a liberal, uh, don't join in because we have a limit on how many people can come into this stream. Um, and if it's being hogged up with like four Muslims, um, then if there are any liberals watching and they want to join, they can't because you're on here. We have enough Muslims on the panel. We don't need more. Um, so please avoid and you know have good etiquettes with the, regards to the conversation is to be had with liberals. Um, and so if you're by any chance, a, a Muslim. Um, I guess liberal Muslims we can allow on. <laughs> uh, yeah. You'd fall under the, the category of um, yeah. liberal. So, uh, yeah, so keep that in mind. Uh, if you do come on and you say anything and it turns out that you are a Muslim and that you're not a liberal, we will ask you to leave politely. Um, so keep that in mind. But, oh, I guess I, that means I, I he guess, maybe I guess, I guess that's the answer. Well, they can ask so. their questions, isn't it? They can ask No, questions. no, no, because... No, 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 because what ends up happening is, is it just ends up being a sort of pat on the back, like that people okay. just agreeing with us. So yeah. if you're a liberal, we can talk to you. If you're not, then um, I, I would say just save the space for liberals so we can actually have a conversation with them. I just want to say okay. that um, the existence of liberal Muslims only proves the existence of mental compartmentalization, that it's possible. <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think we have... Yeah, I think dissonance. we might have one here, Brother Abdullah. I'm not 